God. Are you ready for the word? Amen. Amen. So, I want to read from Psalm 73. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, keep it open, because we're going to keep it open the whole service. Psalm 73. Um, uh, for the sake of time, I am not going to read the whole thing, but I'll jump towards a few things uh, here and there. Now, the last couple of times I spoke to you, I, I talked about uh, growing. You know, the Lord wants us to grow. He wants us to... We are not to be at the same place as we were a month ago, a year ago. How you began this year, you need to be at a higher place in the Lord than, than you were before. You need to be at a, a more intimate place with God, developing in every way. God wants us to grow from glory to glory. And, and one thing, at, uh, three, about three or four weeks ago, I spoke on this, and I, and, and I pointed out, that in order for us to grow, we need to learn how to develop good relationships with people. Because God uses human relationships to grow us, you know. And uh, and, 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 and you could get on, on, on podcasts and kind of re, re-listen to that message if you haven't heard that already. Then last week I talked about another thing that motivates us to grow, that causes us to grow, is when our lives are motivated by heaven. When our lives are inspired by heaven. When we have a heavenly mindset. You know, the Lord says that we should set our hearts on things above, not things on the earth. When you set your heart on heavenly things, you begin to grow because it affects your conduct on earth. It affects the things that you do on earth. It will keep you from sinning. When you're in the middle of it and you, and you think about the big picture, it will keep you on the straight and narrow. And what happens? You begin to grow. You begin to see people differently. And so, 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 so our lives need to be motivated by heaven. Now, I, I've had a statement, I, I think, I, I don't know who came up with it, but they say, don't be too heavenly minded. That you're not earthly good. And I know what it speaks about. It talks about being relevant. You know, in other words, you gotta speak the language of the people in order to reach them. I know where they're coming from. But I wanna reverse that a little bit. We need to be so heavenly minded that we're bringing good on earth. We need to be so heavenly minded, but everywhere we go, we're bringing, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because when we are so heavenly minded, I tell you what, it would not, you don't have to force things on people. You'll be around people and they'll feel the anointing of the Lord. You will impact people positively because the spirit of the Lord is working inside of you. Now I want to take you to another topic today and, 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 uh, uh, that helps us to grow and move forward and become who God has called us to be. And this area is that it's something we need to learn how to, to glean, how to garner from the treasuries of the century, from century's treasures. In the century, there are treasures, and we need to learn how to draw from that. Now, I'll take, let's take a ride to Psalm 73. It's a very interesting psalm. I wish I could read it all, but uh, it, because of time, I will not. Uh, say thank you, Pastor Saul. Because <laughs> it, it would be a long time if I did. So, verse 1. You got it? Say amen. amen. If you're new, you figured out I like people to talk back to me a lot. So you've gotten that so much. All right. So you're welcome. Feel at home. Don't let us scare you. It's just all right. Okay. It's okay to say amen at church, to talk at church, you know, just say the right thing. So So it starts verse one. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who have a pure heart. But as for me, I'm almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. And I was almost gone. Another translation says, as for me, my, my, okay, well, let me keep reading. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. 
For I envied the proud when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with many problems. And, 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 and the psalmist, and I wanted to kind of read those first verses to paint a picture of, who, of what the psalmist is saying here. How many can relate a little bit? They're getting a little bit. He's sitting here and he's saying, wow. He, he, he opens up by acknowledging something we just, I just made you reaffirm. That God is good. This is surely God is good. Truly God is good. I'm not even debating that. God is good to Israel. God is good to those who have a pure heart. But he says, there's something going on in my own life. I recognize that God is good, but there's something going on in my own life that is frustrating, that is confusing, that is irritating. And I, and, and I got this close to giving up. He says, for me, it's a little different. He says, I've almost lost my footing. I've almost, I, I was slipping up. I'm almost losing my way here. I'm almost giving up on my faith. Because something isn't going on right. I, and he says, I became envious of the proud when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And they keep on prospering despite them being wicked. So he's having some questions in his heart. He's thinking, wow. And so uh, I'm not going to read the rest of it here, but uh, he goes on and elaborates more and more. He says they keep on talking trash. They keep on bashing God. They keep on uh, talking proudly. They're arrogant. They open their mouths and they say awful things. Uh, and, they're, and they're walking around like without any sense of, of, of God and they hate God. And, uh, and, and somehow, some way, things seem to be going well for them. They keep getting better and better. They get more money. They even look good. Do you hear what it says? Like their health, their health is so good. And they don't have any troubles. And he's wrestling and he says, that tripped me up. That messed with me. I'm not questioning God if he's good or not. But this almost got me down the path of giving up on my faith. Let me just be honest. Now, I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Maybe some guys that you work with. Maybe people you live in the neighborhood with. Maybe people you know that don't like God and they seem like they, they, they're just fine. Not, they're not just fine. They're doing great. They taunt you in their faces with how successful they are. And he's saying, so as he go, he's going down that path, the Bible, he goes on to say, I keep thinking, okay, God, what's wrong here? Have I kept pure? Have I kept a pure heart for no good reason? Has it been all in vain? Is there any need to follow in you when the unjust, when the wicked can prosper and do well, even better than me? How many of us? thought that. You can raise your hand. It's all right. Because you'll find many people have had those some questions at one point or another. And I, it's a hard thing, and I think it's one of the hardest questions 
for people to think about, to try to, try to, to, to articulate that. I should be the one blessed. I should be the one doing, I should be the one successful. I should be the one doing well. Why are they? I remember um, uh, in Kenya some time back, I, I had the same very question at one point. I don't remember what triggered it, but I just remember going down that train of thoughts. And uh, we have all this, um, a lot of Hindu people in Kenya that came through when the, during the British, colon, uh, when the British colonized Kenya and India, and we're just an ocean away from India. You know, just, so for when they're building the railroad, they brought a lot of Hindu people, and, uh, and they have all these temples, and they worship idols. But a lot of these guys were very shrewd business people. They were very successful in, in the business. Some were very corrupt, too, you know. But at the same time, they, what they did, they had a lot of money, a lot of stuff. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. These guys are definitely, you know, sometimes we talk about idol worship when we talk about figuratively. These guys are literally worshiping idols, thousands and thousands of idols. They sacrifice their idols. I'm thinking, God, I see Christians suffering. Why are they wicked, prospering? And I, and I remember going down path, and I, and, and, I, and I began to understand what the psalmist was saying here. And it's a, it's a down path. And, and I tell you, God recognized that. God knows that. But something happened to this guy where it started, things started changing. Things started changing. Now, one, one thing I want to point out is that the reason he was almost losing his faith, it wasn't because the wicked were perishing, uh, were prospering. Let's go back to verse 2, because I want to point out something very interesting when you look at it. Verse 2 says, But for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw the, them prosper, despite their wickedness. Another one says, another translation that I have memorized actually, is that the, 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 uh, my, uh, my, my foot had almost slipped, I'd almost lost my way. Um, um, when I saw the, this, the prosperity, I, I envied the proud when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the key word there, you can write it down if you're taking notes, is envy. It wasn't what was happening in their lives. It's not the prosperity that he was seeing or the perceived prosperity that he was seeing in the wicked. It was what was going on within his own heart. That's where the turning came. That's when he almost lost his way. That's when he almost lost his faith. Because he started looking at what others have and he envied. He envied them. And that started leading him to a down the wrong path. Envy is such an interesting, actually a very, very dangerous scene to have. So it's, a, it's a simple one. It's not one that's like, oh, he's evil. He's a, no, no. It's one that we keep inside. It's one that we don't really necessarily, we don't get um, um, judged by it. You know, there are certain things you do and everybody knows, oh my gosh, look what she did. Look what he did. And it's obvious. You don't have to say anything. No, people just know. But not necessarily envy. It's in a different place. Because it starts leading you to a path of comparisons. Uh, you know I'm speaking now. But it's a more dangerous sin that sometimes we realize. And that's where his faith starts stumbling. 
because it starts comparing. Oh, look what they have. Look what I have. Oh, look what they're doing. Look what I'm not doing. You're telling yourself all these things. And before you know it, you're very miserable inside. You're angry. You're jealous. You start speaking evil. You're mad. You start living a life that God did not design for you to live. You might be able to put a face on the outside, but inside you're hiding. When they do well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy for you. Inside you're like, why not me? And for whatever reason, I don't know why. It seems to be going on with the people you hate the most. They do the best. (laughs) There's a connection there. Is that the why God? Why? Why God? Why? Why me? Why do I have to do this? Why do I? And before you know it, you're losing sight of what's most important. It's so interesting to me that the Bible or the Ten Commandments given in the Old Testament, three of them have to deal with this issue. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbors. How many know it? Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything that is your neighbor's. They use another English term that we don't use these days in a good way, so I'm not going to say it in the Old Testament version. That shall not cover your neighbor's donkey. In other words, your, your neighbor's Ferrari, you know what I'm talking Or anything that is your neighbor's. Three of the Ten Commandments deal with this issue because it leads to a life of discontentment. Once you're going down that path, you quickly forget the blessings you already have. You're only looking at what you don't have. And the truth be told, if you sat down and started calculating your blessings, you will find that you're more blessed than you deserve. If you truly look down at how how truly God has blessed you, you would discover that you're more blessed than you deserve. I'm laying down in bed last night and thinking, oh God, I'm so blessed. I'm more blessed than I deserve. Thank you, Lord. And there's something inside of you when you go when you you when you allow when you don't allow that spirit to take a hold of you that changes and it brings out a person of praise a person that is grateful a person that is thankful a person that recognizes what god is doing i want to this this spirit i want to just speak right to it don't ever let satan take you down that path when your mind is going through that path you reject that in the name of Jesus. You subject it under the power of the blood of Jesus. Don't let that sin conquer your life. It will steal so much from you, you wouldn't believe it. It will still suck joy out of your spirit. And you know when you don't have joy, you have no strength because the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you recognize you're going down, Papa, I don't care who you're comparing yourself to. You say, Satan... I know this is your plan. I refuse it in Jesus' name. Sin shall no longer have dominion over me. I'm a child of God redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm over this. I'm above this. I'm higher than this. So he continues. Because something happens and it changes. And I want you to see what changes. Because the struggle continued with him. But he finally gets something in that changes his perspective. 
So he goes on. I want to jump down to verse, um, um, I didn't write it on my notes, Let me, uh, but next one, 16. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went to this century, to your century, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them in a slippery path and sent them sliding over to the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed completely, swept away by terrors. Something happened to the guy, and all of a sudden he starts seeing things differently. He starts having a clearer picture, a bigger perspective on life because he went where? To the sanctuary. He went to a place uh, where God was. He went to a place where God was and all of a sudden, it's not that the wicked were not prospering anymore. It's not like things were not going the way they were anymore. Things were still the same, but his vision, his perspective changed. He started to gain an understanding. He went to the sanctuary and gained a divine perspective. He discovered deeper things. What we were talking about yesterday, last week, about um, um, eternal perspective on things. And he goes, okay, when I put this into eternal perspective, I realize, oh, really it's not a big deal. I'm okay. But it goes deeper. But, uh, and, as, and you know what? The sanctuary represents the presence of the Lord. It represents where God is. In the Bible, you, talk, you see the sanctuary, it kind of has dual meanings. One is a physical place. Like, where do we worship the Lord today? In the sanctuary. Come on, it wasn't a trick question, it was just that obvious. So don't be shy. I don't trick people, I'll tell you that, yeah. It's, it's in, so when we gather, how many this morning, just to be honest, Maybe you were tired or whatever the case may be. But when you started praising God, you felt something happening inside of you that's positive. There's a treasure in that that we need to see. And it's designed by God himself. You see, when God um, uh, told Moses, uh, when God was leading Moses to build the tabernacle, he wanted a place where people can come and gather and be able to worship God in, in the sanctuary. Because something happened divinely in the spiritual realm. You're still the same person that came. You probably have needs that you have to go in and look at. Maybe bills you have to look at. Maybe uh, um, um, uh, sickness you have to deal with. Whatever the case may be that's going on in your life. You still have to walk out of this place and look at them. But when you come to the Lord's presence... With God's people, there's something divine that happens. That we can't explain it fully, but you can experience it if you enter in. Someone that's, when you taste of it. So we don't sing here just to sing. I believe what Pastor Dustin was telling us, go back to the song and, and sing this and make it a prayer. We should come with that mindset all the time. And you, I trust, uh, trust me, you will get more out of the worship service every single time if you intently recognize that this is a divine moment and have an opportunity to touch the Lord Most High. 
we could have 10 people come in here, sing the song songs, be in the same service, and not all receive the same way. Because God meets us individually. He receives our praise collectively, but he meets us individually. And what you draw from it is how much you want. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you will enjoy the good of the land. I make it. I have to preach most Sundays when I come in here, but I make sure when I'm praising time, I'm worshiping the Lord. That's an important moment for me. Did I worship before I came? Absolutely. But there's something beautiful when God's people gather together in unified praise and in unified worship. Supernatural things happen. I'm believing even right now as we worship, we'll have some time to worship and worship God. I'm believing for miracles. I'm believing for healing. One specific thing that God laid in my heart even this morning as I was preparing is really believing for healing and people. I have had so many people that have been attacked by sickness, by disease, by infirmity. And you know the Lord, when he went, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the enemy. And sometimes even with healing, we need to contend for it and fight for it and believe for it. And I'm believing today that there will be healings in the house because Jesus is in the sanctuary. Sanctuary was also a personal time of worship yourself. Not just a physical place, but the place where you meet God. Do you meet God? Do you have time with Him? I mean, not just going in to ask, but really developing a lifestyle of worship. There are times you could go to the Lord's presence where you don't have to ask anything. Guess why? He already knows everything you need. And learning to be at that place where you could actually go to to God just to praise Him and to thank Him. Just to praise him and to adore him. Just to praise him in his presence and, and knowing him and understanding who he is. When you start to allow that to happen in your spirit, praise will be natural. You won't have to force it. When you think about the Lord, we sing that song. I'm going to repeat words. How he saved you. How he raised you. How he filled you with the Holy Ghost. How he's filled you to the uttermost. When you think about the Lord, how he kept you safe, how he watches over you, how he forgives you even when you don't deserve it, how he's given you entire. When you think about it, what does it make you want to do? It wants to make you want to shout, it wants you want to praise, it wants to say, God, thank you for who you are. Allow your mind, your heart to engage and think about the Lord. Meditate upon the Lord. And praise will spontaneously flow out of your mouth. I will praise the Lord at all times, David says. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. Why? Because he meditates upon the Lord all the time. And it was in that place of sanctuary he comes. And all of a sudden... He's not talking about his prayers being answered. He's not talking about now I got the house I wanted. Now I got the job I got. Now I got... And it's not like God would not give you that. He's not talking about that. He says, wow, God began to help me see things a little bit differently. 
And all of a sudden where I should be crying, I have joy. All of a sudden where I should be stressed out, I have peace. All of a sudden when I should be uh, worried about tomorrow, I'm like, well, I know God is... It's like so things begin to change even if the circumstances haven't changed because something is happening on the inside and you see things with God's view. That happens in the century. And there is no substitute for that. There is no substitute for spending time with God. There's no substitute for developing a heart of worship yourself. He gets to the sanctuary and things begin to change. I remember um, uh, a few years ago, I was talking to a, a guy. Um, it was unfortunate that I met him right before he left Nebraska, but he had came to Nebraska to play football in college, and it was his final year, and he was leaving. But I start, was talking to him about the Lord, and I can tell... He's keen, but something is keeping him from making that call or making that, uh, that um, uh, decision to finally follow Jesus. But as we're having this conversation, he starts opening up a little bit. I think God was working, not I think, I know God was working, working in his heart. And he started opening up about deep things that he had held for so long. And, and what it is, is that he grew up with a single mother. His mom was so faithful to the Lord. She went to church all the time. She was the most giving person he knew, the most faithful person. But she says, my mom always struggled. And I wrestled with that. And it always bothered me. And deep inside, he held firm. Why would God let my mom struggle even though she's so faithful? And that alone kept him from making that step to trusting God in his own life. And he had kept that inside of his heart, never told no one about it. He just kept it very, very um, um, to himself. And that day was the first time he opened up and told somebody about it. But the, I knew the Lord was working in his life because he got to the point where he's opening up. But it, tell, it shows me how deep those things can be. And then he started, something happened. And he came here. He was in the service that day. And something happened that day. And God began to, he was in the sanctuary. And God began to open up and realize that God loves him. And he started realizing that my mom knows what she is doing. And really, I have to stand before God for myself and be accountable for myself. And I know that God is good. And you know, he did open his heart to Jesus and gave his heart to Jesus. I haven't talked to the guy since, but I know God was doing something. But what it did is that it shed light into my heart into my life, how deep this can be. And so what happens, you start avoiding God, avoiding his presence, avoiding that thing where he's at, and missing out, missing out entirely on what God could do in your life. And the sad thing is, is because we start gauging our lives on other people. They have their walk, you have your walk. And so you're judging God by someone else's walk. And then you miss out on neglecting what God has for you. What God has in store for you is for you. You are made unique in God's eyes. God put you on earth for a purpose and a reason. Nobody else will walk your walk. You walk your walk. And God doesn't compare us to another. He's got blessings in your life that are different than the blessings on the person next to you. He's got things that he will do in you and through you that he will not do through another person. 
But Satan, when he recognizes that we go down that path of comparing, he will take advantage of it. He will wreck havoc and start messing with you if you don't realize it. I was talking to the youth on Wednesday night, and I was telling them, you know, I'm a, you know God, God, God is a gentleman. God doesn't pose, uh, impose himself on us. You know, in Revelation, he says, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. God doesn't open the door. He says, you hear the voice, you open the door, I will come in. But Satan is completely opposite. He does not knock on the door. He just kind of sneak in and says, oh, is there any window open? He dives in and he cooks himself a good meal. He occupies without any invitation. So that's the difference. So when Satan saw, sees that, he, takes, he seizes the opportunity well because he's on a mission to still kill and to destroy. If he can kill you, he'll kill you. If he can steal you, he'll steal you. If he can destroy you, he'll destroy you. And the psalmist here is saying, I got this close to giving up. Because Satan used, took advantage of that and the guy was almost giving up. So be very careful and confront that sin every time it surfaces itself because you won't deal with it once. But you have to subject it under the power of the blood but Jesus, because Jesus came that you may have life. Shall I continue? So I want to jump down to... Uh, please help me out by the next one. Okay, thank you. 23. You got it? Yet... I still belong to you. So all these things are going on in his life and he says, God, but yet I still belong to you. But the new understanding comes after he's spending time with Jesus. Yet I still belong to you. You hold me with your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a gracious, to a gracious destiny. Can I just say God is leading you to a gracious destiny? Someone needs to hear that. God is leading you to a gracious destiny. He has a plan for you that is better than the plans you have for yourself. He has destiny written all over you. Who have I in heaven, he starts saying, but you, Lord. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. He is mine forever. He says, those who desire him will perish For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to draw near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everybody about the wonderful things that you do. The wonderful things that you've done. Now you see such a changed person. He's such a different person here. Depth. Yes, he recognized at the beginning that God is good. But now he's coming to the point where things are starting to change. How many can say that this guy has grown from where we started to the end? How he began to where he's at now. Things are happening and he's growing. That's the path that God wants to take us. And those are treasuries or treasures that are found in the Lord's presence, in the Lord's house that you can't get anywhere else. And to grow, we need to learn how to glean, how to garner from those treasures. You think it's very complicated? It's actually simpler than you realize. It really about, it's really about worship. It really is about praise. You see, as the Bible says, come into his gates with, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts. You're waiting for me to say something profound you've never heard before. Sometimes it's not that. 
is really being re- reminded of the simple things that make the all, all, whole, whole difference in our lives. That can make the world a difference when we get it, when we live in his presence. Because I tell you, friends, when you're in his presence, everything you ever need is there. You know, sometimes we seek, seek and seek the things that God provides with his hand. But when we find him, when we find his face, uh, all the things we need are there. In fact, he guarantees that to us. He says, do not be concerned with the things of this world, the Bible says, but you seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things that we need will be added to us. To wrap it up, I want to kind of translate what, what this means. Those treasures, what he gained, number one, and what we will gain. Number one is that we, get, we gain, we, we start to understand, you start to begin to understand your true identity. You begin to understand your true identity. As you start spending more time with the Lord, as you learn to be a worshiper, a person that enters into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, one of the revelations that comes into your life is a deeper understanding of who you are. That might seem simple, but it's one of the most important things that you could actually have in your own life. When you truly know who you are, and when your identity is not defined by, by the things you do and what you, what you possess, and not in comparison, we will not be comparing with other people. In fact, people will not make you too mad. They'll make you mad sometimes, but not enough to change. Because you don't find, you don't find recognition, you don't find understanding, you don't get self-worth or value by people's approval or disapproval. You already know how God thinks about you. You already understand your place in the Lord. And that causes you to walk the earth very confidently, no matter where your path leads you. You can be sure of who you are. Why? Because the one who defines you, because of the one, you know the one who defines you. That's what I wanted to say. Because the Bible says this in Daniel, that those who know their God, they are strong and they shall do mighty exploits. You know who you are, and you know who your God is. That's a good place to be in life. If you get to that state, an inner state of that, of understanding who you are and who your God is, very, very few things will shake you. In fact, nothing will shake you. Secondly, you gain eternal perspective on life. I think we talked about that last week. Because something, as he's going in through this some understanding comes and says, wow, why am I sweating over this stuff? It's vanity at the end, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was so successful. When he asked God for, for, for God asked him, what would you like? He asked for wisdom. And because he was wise, he was able to be so successful. Everything he put his hands to do was, was blessed. Materially, he had done well. And then when he's done with it, he goes, oh my goodness, after you feel like you've accomplished everything you could possibly accomplish, I realize really it doesn't mean all that much. Some of you say, I'd like to try and discover that myself, you know. But he's, he, had, he had a different perspective on what's important in life. Not to bring Vinny and Melissa back here, but I remember when we were driving to go see them, uh, we're thinking, Wow. It puts a whole new perspective on what's important. You start changing on like, what, what do I treasure the most? What's more important? The things that become important because life is so short sometimes. Sometimes way too short. And I'm just like, wow, 
I need to make the, the main things the main things. I need to keep the main things the main things. Because so all of a sudden, the things that matter, we have a clearer picture on the things that matter. And then the things that don't really matter, we don't sweat it. I kind of get an amen. Because that happened in his life. That can happen to us too. And the third thing is that we begin to learn to value people, not things. So he already goes on. Think about this. His trail of thoughts goes to where he starts exalting God and lifting him up. And he says, oh, I know where the wicked are going. I don't have to worry or compare myself with them because their lives, really, it's worthless because they're going to be destroyed in a moment when it comes to the day of judgment. I'm fine. But you know, the last verse is, I will not stop telling people about you. So he's not condemning them to hell. Now he has a compassion. He wants them to know God. He wants the wicked to come and find him. Are you with me? The thing that was messing with his mind before, he was comparing the things that those people had. And now his value system has changed where he begins to value people and not things. Someone once said, he's like, you should always, you should always value people and use things. Don't use people and value things. But all of a sudden, he's looking at the person, at the people. Not the stuff. The stuff is what was gathering him to compare. He says, well, look at what they're doing. Look what they're driving. Look at their house. Look at well, how, how they're successful. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, it isn't even a big deal after all when it's all said and done. But that person is a big deal. Because if he dies wicked, we know where he's going to go. And I don't want him to go there because I want them to find and know the Lord. That triggers something of us that is evangelistic. When we look at people, we start praying for people. No matter what they look like, no matter what their social status it is on earth, we want them eventually to not perish, but come to the knowledge of Christ. His value system changes. His value system changes. And he starts seeing people. And now he's not condemning them to hell. He doesn't wish them wrong. He wants to pray that they will find Christ, that they will find God, that they will discover him. And lastly, it increases in this century, those treasures, it increases our knowledge of who God is. And when that happens in our lives, as we begin to increase in our knowledge of who he is, Great things begin to happen in our lives. I just quoted Daniel there, saying that those who know their God, they are strong and they shall do mighty exploits. Whatever you're called to do, when you know him, you can accomplish anything he's called you to do. The truth is, he's called all of us to do something. He's called us all of us to do exploits. But the results will be proven by how much we know him. The increase of our knowledge of him will determine how much we do for him, how much we do on the earth. Such a quiet church today, you're scaring me. (laughs) To finish it up, I want to say this. To grow in the Lord, we need to be very, very, very keen on what God actually provides Take advantage of it. Some people don't have that access, and we do. In a few moments before we leave here, we're going to sing, we're going to worship. Guess what? We're not just going to sing. When we touch heaven, 
with our worship. When we touch heaven with our worship, heaven begins to touch our earth with its treasures. That's how we enter into our sanctuary. Because this place, even though we gathered here today, without hearts that are open to the Lord in worship, it actually is just a building like any other building. It could be a Home Depot. But when we take that heart that, or that seek in the Lord, we could actually go to a tent. A lot, many of the revivals, our meetings that were being in the 40s were happening in tents. Two stories in the Bible, two kings in the Bible that have done very different works. Father and son, David and Solomon. David never got to have a beautiful sanctuary for God. And you know what? That was his biggest desire, his whole dream. He even said when he became king, he says, I will not build myself a palace before I build the Lord a house. That was his voice. He says, I have to build the Lord a house first before I build myself a kingly palace, a royal palace for myself. And David would never in his life be able to do that. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, dwelt in a tent during the time of David. David was the guy that the Lord said he was a man after my own heart. And God would keep him. He says, you have too much blood in your hands. I'm not going to let you build that. He was a man of war. His son, Solomon, would come with splendor and majesty. Everything he did was magnificent and glorious. And even the outsiders, when they look from the outside, they say, wow. The, king of Ethiopia, the queen of Ethiopia would come and bring, give. Everybody was coming in amazed at what Solomon had built. It was evident in everybody's sight. You didn't have to argue. It's like, this guy is prosperous. This guy is absolutely amazing. Beautiful, majestic. The two kings, as their life lives, they leave us a legacy. Solomon lives as Ecclesiastes. David lives as Psalms. At all levels, materially, by all judgments in human terms, Solomon was absolutely more successful because he could prove it. They still fight over the Temple Mount to this day. And Solomon ends his life with a letter to the rest of us. So cynical. Everything is vanity. I looked over, it's vanity. Vanity. I have never read so many vanities ever by the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the most cynical guy when he finishes up. And yet he accomplished everything he ever wanted. David could not worship God in a tent. <laughs> I says, oh, so glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He gives us inspiring songs that we can sing every day. It's so good. Oh, we say God is good all the time. He's said that all the time. For us, for me, it's good to draw near to God. 
I will seek you in the morning. I will, I will worship you in the noonday. Oh, everything that, that I, with all of my breath, everything that has breath will praise the Lord God. You are my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The God is the Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? He keeps on. He gives us beautiful songs that inspire us. Even when we are down, you open up, you read something, David Rez, like, oh, I'm starting to feel good. I just want to praise God. You are awesome. You're beautiful. You're mag- magnificent. No words can describe you, God. I'm looking for him. I can't find them because you are awesome. You're... That's the legacy he leaves us. But as for me, God is good to Israel. As for me, I nearly slipped. I almost gave up when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It messed with me. It frustrated me. I was jealous. I was envious of them until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and I had a new perspective. Guys, God wants to meet us even today as we worship. God wants to put a new perspective in our lives. God wants us to hold up. So we live with a legacy of not vanity, but saying, God, you are awesome. Surely, God, you're good in heaven. Who have I in heaven but you? On earth, I desire nothing but you. Hallelujah. Man, I just want to worship now. I I just want to worship now. Can we stand up? I, I want to pray. And the worship team will come here and lead us as we, before we pray. I want to challenge you today. I know they have a couple songs they'll lead us in before we give our offering and go home. I want you to, to make a little personal sanctuary in your heart. And watch God start moving, moving your lives in your heart. I know Pastor Dustin started by saying, you, how many have a need? I raised two hands. If I could have both legs, I could have. But I know that God knows my need. And I want us to kind of close. Kids, you too. When we sing, let's not just sing. Let's enter into the sanctuary and allow the Holy Spirit to move in this place. I believe miracles, things are going to change. Things are going to change for you. Things are going to go change for you. I'm waiting for an amen. amen. Things are going to change for you when we encounter the King of Kings. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Pray with me. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you, holy God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord.